morning, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Fully Free with Ashley, the podcast on mental health, eating disorder recovery, wellness, healing, and all things magical. I'm incredibly excited about a guest we have coming on the podcast this morning. Her name is Jill, and she is fantastic. She has a YouTube account as well as an Instagram account um, under a case of the Jills. So I will link that at the end of the podcast so you can check her out. I actually came across her Instagram and YouTube channel when I was first starting to recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea. So if you haven't watched or listened sorry, to my previous episodes, hypothalamic amenorrhea is an absent menstrual cycle from stress, which is usually a combination of overtraining, mental stress, lack of sleep, etc. And then combining in a lack of nutritious food intake so not enough calories to support your activity level so I found her videos incredibly helpful and this was before I was even considering creating a podcast and I decided to reach out now that the podcast is up and rolling and ask if she would mind being a guest for an episode talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea but also overtraining syndrome which is a very specific condition and her experience with it. Jill has a BA in psych, an MA, and then she's now studying another MA at Harvard Extension in psychology where she's focusing on overtraining syndrome and hypothalamic amenorrhea in athletes. And then she's also a recovery coach helping people who need extra support to get their periods back to get back to full health and vitality. So we're going to just introduce her now and she'll take a few moments to describe her story and I'm super excited to get into this discussion. Okay everyone, so here's Jill and she's just going to take a moment to talk about herself a little bit. Hey Jill. <laughs> Hi, um, okay, so talk about myself, goodness. Okay, well, um, I am uh, right now is studying to get a master's degree in psychology and um, I came to this because I wanted, I had experienced overtraining syndrome um, as an ultramarathoner, uh, formerly triathlete, then ultramarathoner, but I experienced overtraining syndrome pretty badly as an ultramarathoner. And I was confused, I was scared, and I found that I absolutely had more questions than answers, and there weren't answers out there. So um, because I was really impacted by this so greatly, I wanted to be able to help others and talk about the topic with more authority. And so um, I chose to go back to school to study psychology. And you may ask why psychology, but we can, we'll probably get into that in, in a bit. But so right now, um, I don't train as a triathlete or uh, an ultramarathoner anymore. I uh, have sort of changed um, my mindset around athletics and physical activity and I also have a labral tear in my hip so it's kind of prohibitive at this time <laughs> I'm sorry to but, hear uh, that yeah it's kind of terrible but it's also really given me uh, peace of mind to be able to figure out movement in my life in a way that's not going to hurt me so uh, yeah so I old lady swim and I hike in the hills where I live I so. love that <laughs> I love old lady swimming too Oh, yeah, it's great. Like, I really, really wish someone would decide to make the swim caps with the flowers on them mm -hmm. as a comeback. I would be personally for that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can find them on Amazon. I might try. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thanks so much. Um, and then could you just go into a bit about what your story is with overtraining? So you're an ultramarathoner, a triathlete, and then you acquired overtraining syndrome. So, like, what did your old schedule look like and how did it come to that? Goodness gracious. Okay, so I was very much your typical, uh, very enthusiastic ultramarathoner, especially when you start off and you feel like you invented running and you're really excited about getting in all of the miles all the time. Um, back in 1999, I was living abroad, um, getting a different master's degree, and I learned about this guy named Scott Jurek. And my life completely changed. As soon as I heard about him and what he did, I became obsessed with ultramarathon. And it wasn't the time in my life where I could have pursued it, but I knew it was in the back of my mind, oh man, this, this is something I need to do. So um, eventually I did come to a point in my life where uh, I was, felt ready and able to kind of move past the marathon distance. I had stopped training for triathlon because I had some problems with my back and um, 
I wanted to, I just wanted a different challenge. So I became an ultramarathoner. And like I said, I was totally obsessed like anyone would be. I did not do the thing that a lot of people do, which is go from zero to hundred miler in like one year. I did not do that. I told myself that every year I was going to go up a distance. So I did 50K the first year and then 50 mile the second year. And then I kind of hung out in that 50 mile, 100K zone for a really long time. Um, I lived on the East Coast at the time. I was living in Massachusetts. So I was training in and around that area and all of New England and upstate New York doing races up there. And then I had the opportunity to move out to California, um, AKA basically uh, Mecca for a trail runner. Mm -hmm. And I moved to the sort of Bay Area. I was working in technology at the time. And long story short, the first week I was there, I actually ran so much that I gave myself the flu because I was just so blown away by the trails and the community and the people and I just wanted it all the time every day every second um and so I uh I kind of blew my brains out with running and got really sick uh as a result so um yeah I had some amazing experiences and I met like the greatest people in the world and like I paced and crewed at western states I you know went to all these great races I did all these great things and um even with my efforts to try to slow down my progress in terms of distance, I, I epically blew up in the end um, anyway. So. Well, thanks for that. It sounds like you've been a lot of places though and lived some pretty cool places. So that's awesome. Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been really lucky. Yeah. And Italy now, like so jealous. Um, <laughs> so at that point you got sick and then did you just keep training after that? Like when was it oh, that you actually hit the point where you're like, Oh, I actually have something really wrong. Well, uh, you know, I did. Does any runner think there's anything wrong I know. with them? <laughs> yeah. Does any athlete no. ever? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you should take a you should take a little bit of a rest. What? Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. No, that wasn't gonna happen. So, um, I again, like I said, I was typical of anyone who's super enthusiastic about running, and at that time, I really felt as though I was invincible. Um, I have celiac disease, and that. Uh, played a big role in this because I even though I had been diagnosed when I was 25 and I I, I thought that I had a handle on the nutrition that I needed to um, the, My nutrition as an athlete. I thought I had a handle on it, but I I, I truly didn't mm-hmm. um, I I just absolutely did not Heed any of the physical warnings that my body was giving me I did not listen to the messages that my body was telling me at that time and I just kept going and I really thought, oh, you know what? I'm having kind of a, I'm having a, I'm, I must be tired or I'm having a low moment or you know what? Maybe I should take an extra rest day this week as though an extra day would overcome the amount of damage I had done to my body mm-hmm. without adequate recovery throughout. Um, and uh, I just absolutely tried to keep going, thought, you know, as maybe a lot of people do, which is, you know, keep training, train harder, train differently you know, add speed work, do track workouts, mm-hmm. less volume, more volume, you know, all these different things. And, uh, it just, it was getting worse and worse. And, um, yeah, it was really bad. I'm sorry to hear that. That, that must've been hard. And I actually relate to your comment on you ran so much that you made yourself sick because my, I wasn't like, I was never a really long distance runner, but I played really competitive hockey and soccer. And, in well I was 15 but that year that I was training like four hours usually each day I was sick the whole year and at at that time I'm young I didn't know I didn't know anything about hormones or or anything about really like rest oh so I took a week off in the season like oh maybe that will help me I, I didn't actually get better from the sickness that I had until my season was done and the summer was here and it was just like chalked up to being stressed but I, I don't know if I, that was ever overtraining syndrome. I don't know if I've ever had it. I don't think so. But I, like, relate to working out so much that you're just sick. It, it happens. And I think what it is is sometimes, um, and again, I, I, back in the day, I guess, you know, when I started training for ultramarathon, there was this kind of um, myth of, like, get, somehow training to the point where your body was used to a certain volume and that – you would kind of move to this place where marathon distance and uh, or above was just normal for you. And so I, 
I, I felt like I was going to train through this kind of wall. Um, and I did actually. So I got to this point where I was running back to back either 20 milers or 25 milers on weekends, Saturday and Sunday. I mean, like every weekend. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I really was like, oh, I'm just habituating. You know, I'm just, my body's just settling into this zone where this is now my new normal, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really felt as though that that was like, oh, well, this is what happens. You know, we just re-level set of what we can handle. We become something else now because we have trained to this point where this, what seems like an enormous amount of volume is fine. And um, yeah, like you said, we, we, we kind of like ignore all these other physical symptoms because we're like, well, I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, this is kind of fine for me now. This it becomes your new normal, or you think it is. Yeah. Um, which is difficult. And um, I think that uh, one of the things about overtraining syndrome, and, and I tell people this all the time when I do, I do counseling calls with, with folks who might be, think they have trouble with overtraining or, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, I have um, become a health coach. And of course, because of my, the studies that I do, um, I feel somewhat qualified to sort of answer people's basic questions. And so one of the things I tell people when they say like, I'm not sure if I have overtraining syndrome or not, if you think you might have overtraining syndrome, you don't. If you think you're dying or might be dying, you probably have overtraining syndrome. That's how physically horrible it is and feels. Mm-hmm. You think you have cancer? You think you might have Addison's disease or uh, some kind of blood problem or thyroid blew out or something. You feel that you are dying. That's mm-hmm. how physically uh, devastating it can feel. So um, you're probably correct in your assessment of yourself saying you don't think you had it you probably if you don't think so you probably didn't yeah yeah and I remember reading that somewhere that you wrote too I think on one of your blogs or something because I came across uh your YouTube channel when I was recovering from hypothalamic amenorrhea which I'm still kind of navigating now I'm still not like I thought I was recovered a few times and it's not really so it's just like da 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 like trying to navigate all of that but I found your videos like really helpful and easy to listen to so that's why I was like excited to reach out to you um, and then, so during all this, when all this was happening, like, when was it that you realized, like, your cycle was missing and, like, how did that play into your recovery? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, I didn't have a period for, like, five years. And I remember exactly a, the, the, about the time where I lost it because I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, who was not my husband, I had said to him, listen, I just wanted you to know this year I'm going to be training for a 50 K and I'm going to have to up my mileage. I am going to move beyond marathons and kind of move into the ultra world. And I want you to know that it's going to, it's going to be more training volume. It's going to be more time. And I'm just going to let you know, so that you know that I'm, I'm going to be kind of maybe out of the house or doing other things, you know, and kind of training a little bit more. I want you to know. And as soon as I went over, I think it was probably 40 miles a week or it was like 40, 45, somewhere in there. Right when I bumped over 45 miles a week, that was it. It just kind of left the building. (laughs) There was no more period. And it was just, that was it. And it it just absolutely did not come back. But I was one of those people, like many of us, who go, oh, yeah, this is what it is to be an athlete. Wait, I'll I'll do you one better. I thought it meant that I was becoming a better runner. Mm Mm-hmm. I really felt as though this was some kind of, and I would never admit this, of course, because I was in my 30s at the time. Like, I wasn't a kid. Yeah. But somehow, I really felt as though this was, I mean, for me, it was almost like a badge of honor. Yeah, no, I really relate to that. Even the first time I lost it, people were like, oh, it's just because you're so fit. It's like a, like a congratulations, you're so fit, your period's not here. It's like, no, as soon as you look into anything about that, you're like, no. It's, it's dramatic, it's normalized in sport i mean we've seen it all over the media recently it's 100 percent normalized in sport over that it's normalized in any of what they call the lean sports mm-hmm. so sports in which a lean body is uh more than acceptable it is actually like expected so that would be like things like gymnastics and dance and skating and ballet um running of course so in any of those like lean body sports you know it's 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 acceptable and it, you feel as though that that is a characteristic of your participation in that sport. Mm-hmm. So you lost your period, were you, and then you were you alarmed by that, or did you just like I know you said it was badge honor, but like when did the alarm phase hit? Like where you're like, I gotta do something different. Like what's yeah. going on? 
Um, I really wish I could tell you that it bothered me. Mm-hmm. For I mean, I would love to tell you that I was conscientious in some way. Yeah. <laughs> I really was not at all. I was working. I was running a ton. I just wanted to run. It's all I wanted to do. I would have traded anything for running at that time. I'm being totally honest. It was my life. It's everything I did. It's, you know, one of the main reasons why I took the job opportunity out West. I mean, I moved completely across the country, packed up all my stuff, shipped my car, the whole thing. And it was, I probably could have gotten a great job right in Boston where I was, but I, I really, really, really wanted to run. I wanted to run. I wanted to run long. I wanted to run every day for as many hours as possible. I wanted to just do it. And so I absolutely was willing to sacrifice just about anything to do that. So I didn't, it did not start to bother me. It didn't start to bother me until I got to the point where the other physical symptoms were so bad that I could, I really could not, I was like, whoa. This you couldn't is... ignore them anymore. Correct. So yeah, what, yeah. what were some of the other physical symptoms that you experienced or, and even not just you, like other ones you've heard other people too? Yeah. Yeah. So it can be, it can be slightly different in men and women, but there's a lot of crossover. So I'll tell you about my experience uh, was, so the, I think the, the main thing that really started to get to me, or I shouldn't say started to, it really, really got to me. Let's forget all of the other things. So the mild things were of course not getting a period. I'm using mild, by the way, <laughs> with big old air quotes on that, yeah. you know, in my opinion at that time with that mindset, the mild things were, you know, gastrointestinal kind of stuff, you know, weird stomach, weird bathroom habits, you know, bloating and all these different things. Um, I, uh, I definitely had hair loss. I didn't really notice it at the time, but, um, in pictures you would see like kind of on the corners of my hairline, you'd see like scat, scatty or like scarce kind of hair. Um, but again, I didn't really pay attention to that. Um, so a few things, the, the first thing that really kind of, um, was was really bad but i was still running a ton meaning i could still kind of keep my body moving but it was one of the major red flags was the night sweats Mm -hmm. the night sweats were really really bad so um i have hypothyroidism anyway my mom my whole family all the women in my family have thyroid problems so i have been on synthroid for a million years long before i became a runner um so i was like oh my you know my medication must be off like i just pinned it on absolutely anything else but I would wake up in the middle of the night um and I don't mean just like kind of oh let me turn a fan on we are talking in a pool yeah of sweat just like I would have to get up and not just change my clothes but change the sheets just like completely soaked and starving starving like this hunger that just did not seem like normal it was like there was this unfillable hole in my stomach that just like opened up I just felt like I, I can't describe that kind of hunger I it's extreme just yeah yeah extreme hunger but like but it was um the, the night sweats the temperature problem that was the first thing then I started to notice as time was going on um it was getting harder and harder for me to push out like big long miles so anything it started to be like anything approaching like 18 19 20 miles and and above was really taxing and taxing in a way that it had not been before and I don't mean from a like a respiratory kind of perspective it was like my legs felt like lead mm-hmm. like I could not keep them moving and they were um cranky and just like crampy and heavy in a way that they had never been before um and uh my legs would be on fire when I wasn't running and I would like go up and downstairs in the house or in my office or whatever um they just were it was just like fire just you know real like extreme kind of like acidic feeling in my legs um when I wasn't running and wasn't moving if I would lay on my bed it felt like someone had just hit my legs with a bunch of hammers and um, also, and uh, you know, I'm not proud of this, but I will tell you that one of the things that really pissed me off was was weight gain. Mm-hmm. And um, weight gain, it was this weird, kind of like bloaty, puffy. I the the uh, the uh, fitness girls always say I, I'm fluffy. Yeah, my, my, I love that word because it's totally accurate. Yeah, um, I had I was fluffy. I had like a muffin top over my like shorts, mm-hmm. and my like legs like were like thicker and like but it was water you could see that it was water because they were like stiff 
you know no, I, re- um, I relate to that I know yeah I know how it feels to be puffy too yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so um those things were really starting to get to me um of course I kept training blah 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 moving forward from that I will tell you the end the end zone of this was that the amount of miles that I could run without like having to stop and walk which me and everyone everyone who knew me as an ultra marathoner knew that Jill could did not have to stop Mm -hmm. she could run forever and I I could run forever I had like this crazy like steady pace I would be like between a you know I don't know let's say like 12 minute mile or whatever on on the trail but like never stop and never have to walk never need a break just keep going keep going keep going and um the number of miles that I could uh run without having to stop and without having this like extreme squeezing in my legs was going down and down and down so went like 18 miles and then 15 and then 13 and all the way down to the point where like a one hour run or less was excruciating um so that's kind of my side of it um of course the amenorrhea would have been part of that um i was depressed really depressed i was depressed because of my physical symptoms but i was also depressed for lots of things that were kind of happening i was confused i wasn't feeling good my moods were really not not good um and uh lots of people who end up with ots have similar feelings uh men have their own kind of hormonal issues they can experience different uh swings in their own hormones obviously because you know testosterone becomes an issue for them too just like you know estrogen and progesterone become an issue for us um but the things that seem to be um with, with all the people that i work with the things that seem to repeat over and over again is uh night sweats uh very very sore muscles lots and lots of leg pain specifically of course it can be arm pain too if you're a bodybuilder i've worked with guys who are bodybuilders that have like the arm and back and uh, like full mm-hmm. body kind of pain yeah um uh t- some people because of the high cortisol they're like peeing all the time um you know lack of libido of course for men and women um gastro issues mood issues depression anxiety uh the i I did say the sweating um uh, the weight gain the weight gain is is really a big one and it seems to be universal that people get very midsection kind of like men and women will get like midsection kind of weight gain and swollen legs so those are things that we see a lot that's very very fascinating to hear about and i feel like I've heard a lot more about hypothalamic amenorrhea, maybe because I've researched it so much, but like I don't hear about OTS that much. And I feel like people throw the word around a bit too. So like what would be the difference that you would say between OTS and then overtraining overtraining in general? Like I know you said if you don't feel like you're dying, you probably don't have OTS. But like what else like can people um, do to differentiate the two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think these terms, just like everything else, gets ruined. You know, we throw these terms yeah. around colloquially, like, you know. Um, and it's, it's very understandable because what we're talking about, overtraining syndrome, whenever we're talking about a syndrome, it's a constellation of symptoms that taken together equal what we believe to be this thing, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So within there, there's like a lot of area for interpretation, especially for physicians who you might be working with um, that are trying to help you figure out what's going on. Um, and I, I do know that it's a challenge to find people that can help you piece it together. So I will say this. So the, the concept is this. Um, it is normal for us to take a human body and apply physical stress to it uh, in the way of exercise or training. And then the body becomes accustomed to that level of training. And then it can take a little harder training or a little longer training or a little heavier training. And we kind of like move up the ladder that way. Anyone who's ever trained for a race or an event of any kind knows that incrementally you you kind of push yourself you get a little sore you take a little bit of rest and 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 so on and so on um what happens with overtraining syndrome is that that very very important step of recovery doesn't happen it doesn't happen enough it doesn't happen frequently enough or um doesn't happen long enough and so the body can keep going it's like this magnificent machine that can uh, mobilize all these resources to keep us going up to a certain point but then after a certain point it can't do it anymore, despite what, um, you know, we have been told that we, we actually do have limits. So overreaching and overtraining, sorry, uh, is what we say when, you know, we can use it colloquially and say, oh, I'm overtraining. And it's like typically this person who's like really exhausted at the end of a week, you know, and they take a few days off and they feel much better and they can go back to doing their training. And sometimes when we're on the verge there, there's a term called overreaching. And 
lots of people bump in and out of overreaching, especially when you're training for sort of endurance events or whatever. And that's kind of a normal thing. It means, you know what, take an extra few days off, maybe take an extra week off, even up to like a month, it's fine. This is why we have periodization of training, right? Like we have our, our on season and our off season and all these different things. Um, except now, you know, uh, especially with ultra marathon, there is really no off season anymore. There's races all year round, 12 months out of the year. And, you know, I say this to people all the time, like races are a business just like any other. So wherever you make a race, people are going to come out and run it. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to like worry about you and your endocrine system. So what ends up happening is that that overreaching now, because we can train 12 months out of the year, we can travel, we can do whatever we want to do to go to different races. Now, if we're not taking adequate rest and it builds up and builds up and builds up, and I don't mean just a couple of weeks, I'm talking like months to years of repeated repeating this, we might end up into a place where we're at overtraining syndrome. Okay, so, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a good clarification. And then, we sorry, oh, that's okay. No, 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 that was perfect. Um, and then, so a, a couple minutes ago, you talked about. I know you don't you don't want to talk too much about the biomarkers, but uh, and we spoke about this before the podcast started. But because I asked uh, about your opinion on if there's any like blood work that you can get done that can help you get diagnosed, and could you just explain why there's not really that? Well, so again, uh, as people have heard me say this before, if, you, if you've seen any of my stuff, I do not like to swing out of my strike zone. Um, I am a person who is, you know, I study psychology and um, a lot of the stuff that I do, it studies, um, I'm writing my thesis on this topic right now. So I feel somewhat qualified to talk about it in general, but I don't want to get way into the weeds of the medical side of this. But there is not any one thing that we can point to at this point. There's not like a blood test that you can take to be like, ding, ding, OTS. There's really, we're not at that point. There are studies that have been done and continue to be done on certain biomarkers that may suggest highly that this thing is going on. But if if I may, and this is is just as a result of having looked at a lot of studies, Mm -hmm. it really does require um, a healthcare practitioner to take a very wide view of what is going on with this person juxtaposed with the amount of training that they are doing and really try to see the full picture of what's happening to understand uh to to be able to diagnose it's really not one thing or another it's a whole group of things and it's really important that someone be uh be able to see that so okay yeah thank you for that clarification too i really I know. I think that's so important. And then also, like you said at the start, it is so hard sometimes to find someone to help you piece it together. So like finding a, a group of people or like a group of professionals or someone that's really on your side to like help you comb through everything and see, yeah. it, see it for what it is could be really helpful. It is. I think it's it, uh, from, from, you know, kind of like, again, talking to people in this, this world and sort of, um, reading the studies, you know, you're going to find if you're lucky enough to live in a place like, Boulder, Colorado, you know, you're probably going to be able to find a physician who understands what overtraining syndrome is and might even be able to help you uh, see it and navigate it. Mm-hmm. But if you're somewhere, you know, outside of like a very athletic minded community where there are lots of um, people sort of um, able to speak on these topics or they're, they're, they're more familiar with them, it might be harder for you to find someone who can, who can really see it all together. Um, and, and by the way, just to be clear, those levels in terms of like what volume you're doing or how much training you're doing, how many hours, how much distance, how much vertical, whatever, where your personal limit is, is going to be different from everybody else. So we can't be like, okay, anyone who runs over X amount of miles per week is going to have a problem. Absolutely not true. I I personally know, I know people who continually, uh, females who continually run over 80 miles a week and, get a period every month and never have a problem with, um, being exhausted and, you know, just they're fine. And, yeah. and so I don't make it same that there's any type of specific limit, which is why again, biomarkers and all these different things, it's like, we can't really say, Oh, it's going to be this every time. Everyone's different and everyone's going to have a different limit. So. Yeah. And I think that also ties really into like body size and leanness to like, what, what is some, one person's normal isn't another person's normal. And hitting a certain body fat percentage might cause one person to lose their cycle and then another person to not, even though like there's like general consensus and like studies that show different levels of fat percentages and stuff. I think that also relates to the differences among us. 
Well, I'm going to, I'm going to take that one step further. You're absolutely correct in that. But also I think some of the problems that we've had in recognizing and understanding hypothalamic amenorrhea in female athletes has been an old school kind of focus on body fat and also fat intake in the diet. It was, it was considered to be, those things were considered to be the linchpin mm-hmm. of the situation. You know, like how much body fat does the woman have and also how much fat is she eating? And while those are extremely important parts of the equation, they are um, not the only part. And for example, I, I'm speaking from personal experience and also some of the people that I've worked with, um, I never had a very, very low body fat percentage and I ate a lot of fat. My problem for why I lost my period and why a lot of women lose their periods is because of the overall amount of energy intake is deficient. Yeah. And so, and, and that disparity there is what makes the hypothalamus damn angry. And that's why <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a period. Yeah. Um, and I think this can be also confusing for for women, especially lately, there's been like this emphasis on low carb diets. So women go, wait a minute, I eat avocados and all this stuff every day. Like I'm super healthy. I eat tons of fat. I why am I? Why did I lose my period? It's like, well, you don't eat a carb. That's literally <laughs> that's literally what I'm trying to navigate now too. And I relate a lot to that because I so I haven't you I haven't told you about my story yet, but I have a little bit about it on a previous podcast. But I basically believe after like a lot of medical help and my own like hours and hours of research that I have like a crossover between lean PCOS and hypothalamic amenorrhea uh so it originally started with me trying to control my PCOS by eating less carbs and then that is when I lost my period and then since then it's like grappling on the edge of like oh well how much is too much and then I'm worried about the one condition over the other and then so I got my period back five months ago from eating a lot and just like continue like cutting out most of my exercises and like most of my high intensity exercise it was still very active but then now it's missing again and the only thing that's really changed is I haven't been like eating a lot all day so I'm like okay so I, I think I need to up my carbs again but it's just like the whole like what is the right thing to do and what's first uh, yeah. has been an interesting experience to say the least I've heard a lot of, um, so I've heard this story before a million times and, um, I am going to absolutely plead the fifth on the PCOS. Thing. That's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm really, cause I just have, I can't, I need to, this is where I have to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but I'm going to say this, that, um, in recent, you know, in recent years, because of the way I, I mean, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. So like all we did was eat carbs back then. We yeah. We were gonna- <laughs> carbs and kept the fat right out of the diet we we're gonna be fine um but you know in recent years the the carb phobia and the the sort of um you know fear mongering around carbohydrates has been i think one of the most detrimental um movements to affect females specifically in sport but sport in general and it is a real sad thing because i promise you i was one of those jerks who used to think i was quote-unquote fat adapted or that like I didn't need to eat starchy carbs because like I I totally am gonna be running on my I'm I'm running on fat. I'm using yeah. fat as fuel. Like I just wanna vomit when I hear myself say <laughs> so, it could not be more detrimental, especially for women, um, especially for women who wanna keep a hormone balance, a healthy hormones. Um and the the number one food to add back to the diet in the case of hypothalamic amenorrhea and also in overtraining syndrome for different reasons or some some of which overlap is carbohydrates um and i'm not talking about fruit and vegetable carbohydrates the starchy carbohydrates mm-hmm. you gotta eat rice you gotta eat the, the, the pasta the bread the whatever kind of stuff um because that's really what your body that's what your body wants we've been told otherwise as is the case many times in fitness and health and nutrition, we like to tell ourselves a lot of things, but our body needs what it needs at the end of the day. Yeah, so. and our body tells us what we need, and we just need to pay attention to it. A hundred percent. And we don't. A lot of those things are uncomfortable for us because we are uncomfortable with the outcome, and we are uncomfortable with what we think is um, a, a, a potentially. Um, I don't want to use the word negative because it's not negative, but we, it's, it's an aesthetically, it's a, an, an aspect that for us is aesthetically not pleasing. Mm-hmm. 
which is a whole other issue, which we won't get into. But, um, you know, and that is that is a serious detriment, not only to the person as who they are, but that is detrimental to their athletic performance, their athletic career, because uh, feeding your body well is the best thing you can do for your body and your mind, by the way. That's extremely important. Yes, I love that. Thank you for that. That's so important. So back to your story a bit. So then what did you do when you decided okay I'm taking a full break like what did the whole process look like at that point and how did you start to move towards recovery yes so um again I am uh a not perfect and I, like I would love to tell you that I did all this perfectly but I will tell you all my flaws and one of which was that I did not stop uh running completely when I wanted to recover my period and also kind of like I I just wasn't I was like, well, I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take my mileage down, which is like the dumbest thing ever, but whatever. I, like I said, I was, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. So I decided to take my mileage down. I think I was running no more than maybe 20, 25 miles a week, or at least trying to, it was agonizing. Um, but what I really, really did was, um, change my diet and add calories, carbohydrates, and a million other things. So like I said, I, having celiac disease, um, I thought that I was eating adequate carbohydrates because obviously when you take out the bread and the pasta and all the other stuff, you know, you've got to either add back the gluten-free versions or you've got to add in the types of carbohydrates that you can tolerate. So that would be, you know, potatoes or pasta or rice or whatever it would be. In my case, I wasn't eating any of that stuff and I thought I was getting my carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables. Yes. Like I said, I was one of those jerks. It's okay. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) And by the way, I'm not calling anyone else a jerk, but myself, that's all, that's all on me. Um, but so I added back things like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, quinoa, sweet potatoes and regular potatoes and rice and all these different things. I have trouble with rice and potatoes. They, they make me sick in general, uh, white potato and, and rice really doesn't make me feel good. So I was doing like tons of quinoa and corn and corn based products or like corn pasta or corn, you know, whatever kind of yeah. stuff. So the typical kind of gluten-free pasta not really but some of the other stuff I was eating a lot of um and lived on sweet potatoes and almond butter like no joke um and like I said tons and tons and tons of quinoa every way you can think of it and 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 I'm, I'm probably forgetting I know I'm forgetting a lot of other things that I added in but I was trying to eat more of everything and uh that was that was right around the beginning of kind of the process I will tell you as I'm sure if you have gone through this process you experienced, the weight doesn't take a long time to come on. Mm-hmm. You, I started gaining weight immediately, immediately. Mm-hmm. And it came on fast and furious, um, but it came on. And then, so I, um, if, if anyone's watched my channel before, it's very easy for me to remember exactly how this went down because I ran my last marathon on my birthday, April 10th, um, flew, cause we ran it here in Rome in Italy, but I was still living in the States flew back home, began the recovery process. It was Marathon Monday in Boston, I remember specifically. Um, And then, so that was April. And then by June, I think it was June 9th, I had my period back. I also had quite a bit of weight too on on me. Yeah. Um, But yeah. That's amazing. But um, how did you cope emotionally and mentally with the the weight? Because I know it's, it's hard when you have an aesthetic that you want to keep, especially as an athlete. Yeah. I, uh, I, it was tough. It was really, really hard. Um, I, again, not graceful. It was, it wasn't graceful at all. I did what everyone does, which is don't want to look in the mirror. Um, feel uncomfortable in my body. Uh, wear a pair of jeans too long until they're so uncomfortable that you're like practically crying and you have to go into (laughs) I was one of those people that I, I was working. I remember I literally took a break from work, drove to the mall, went inside and like went to like a place to buy jeans and like ripped the jeans off that I had and like bought a new pair of jeans that were bigger and like walked out in the new pair of jeans because I couldn't stand it anymore. Good like, for I you not. though. Good I'm for sorry. you. Good for you. Yeah. That's I amazing. Like, no, I was like, no, I'm not going to deal with this. Um, I bought all new like workout clothes and, um, I, I was, I was not kind to myself at that time. Um, I just, 
didn't like anything. You know, mm-hmm. at first it was fun. Oh, boobs. Hey. You yeah. Know, like you, I had to buy all new bras. That was the first thing. Um, and then, you know, I felt uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. I definitely yeah. did. And um, I just felt, because I, I was still running at the time, and I felt like I had, like, another butt behind my butt. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? As I was running. Um, and I, I really, I was uncomfortable. But to be honest, I just, the pain of what I had gone through up to that point was way worse than standing in the dressing room at Target trying to put bikinis on. Mm-hmm. It was so much worse, and I knew that. And I cannot stress this enough. The mental, how my brain felt, how I felt about myself and what I was doing, and the fact that I had gotten my period back was so much more compelling and so much more important. And it made me feel so much better than worrying about, like, how, how like, my jeans were or if they fit or what size I was wearing or I never weighed myself through any of the process, so I really can't even give you, like, tell you what it was. I have no idea, but I knew that even though I was physically uncomfortable, like, the mental freedom I felt and the mental benefit and getting my period back, like, I didn't need more convincing than that. Yeah. It felt so good, so, yeah. That's great. Um, and then, yeah. and then during, during the recovery process, did you have other side effects? So like you had like, like had, when did the night sweat start improving or like, what are, were there some other like skin side effects or GI stuff or what, what were some? Yeah. So, uh, also, I want to be clear that as I got my period back, I really, um, I stopped running right kind of like after I got my period back, which is, I know very strange, but I, like I said, I'm not perfect. Um, I got to the point where I really could not run anymore. It was so painful. I couldn't even deal with it. Um, so I, I really stopped and took, I, a couple months off so in that time um <clears throat> I my I, I started to get the baby hairs growing mm-hmm. back you know so I knew that the things were going well with that um my leg pain was was really bad at that point because I was still trying to push and so I remember a few days in a row that I like laid in bed and just did a lot of like um foam rolling and stuff and trying to just elevate my legs and that's probably the, the thing that that took the most uh, time to get rid of was that leg pain. And like I said, foam rolling really helped with that. Um, in terms of the night sweats, just about as soon as I started like eating more carbohydrates, especially like I said, the starchy carbohydrates, the night sweats went away. Now, I will caveat that with saying that as I started to eat more and gain weight, I, did, I was like kind of hot at night and I would wake up sweaty, but it was very different. It wasn't like this, you know, really um horrible experience and i wasn't with that hunger that i couldn't get rid of so um but but i i think that the the answer is that the the symptoms of not eating enough went away the overtraining syndrome stuff took a lot more time to go away um and uh i will say something about that too which is that overtraining syndrome symptoms it's like getting frostbite. And I've, I've said this before a few times, uh, um, some of my people that I, I speak to on the phone will, will have heard me say this. It's like, it's like frostbite in the sense that if you ever have frostbite, right, you're that much more susceptible to getting frostbite the next time you go out in a very cold situation. And overtraining syndrome symptoms and all of the fallout that comes with that, even even amenorrhea, by the way, I'm including that because that is also part of, the, again, the constellation of things that can go wrong. You are going to be more susceptible to those things mm-hmm. once it has happened to you once. Yeah. So just to follow on with that thought, I went back to training and got myself into a, uh, another ultra marathon, two more actually. This was after getting my period back, after taking time off running, I went back and in um, November and December of that year, I did two ultras and... I will tell you this, the symptoms came back fast and furious so bad that I just, I was done. That's it. I had to be done. So um, it's important to remember that I made all the mistakes. I made all the mistakes, but it's important to remember that it takes your body a really long time to recover, months and months. And sometimes just when you think you're ready, you're not. So. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really great that you, you admit like we're all human. Like we're not, you're. We're not just going to read about this like, oh, well, I've, and then realize we have overtraining syndrome or realize that we lost our periods because we're not nourishing ourselves and do everything right every day for the rest of our lives after because we read about it and because we know that's us. Like our mind 
plays tricks on us our mind wants to go back to what's comfortable like we we're gonna make mistakes and that's okay too it's absolutely true and more than that we have to give ourselves a little bit of 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 a break to understand that the culture that we live in and specifically that the culture of fitness that we are all involved in so whether that's if you're a runner or you're a gym athlete or whatever it is that you are the culture is go 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 do 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 Mm -hmm. don't stop you have no limits just do it just hustle slay the day Listen, these messages, I understand that they're coming from a place of positivity and they're coming from a place of giving you, wanting to have you believe in yourself. But I'm going to tell you that these messages are not real. They are not necessarily healthy. And at the end of the day, they don't encourage us to stay in tune to what our body is telling us. They encourage us to hold ourselves up to this standard that is impossible to achieve, just like so much of the other standards that we are inundated with on a daily basis the most important thing we can do is listen to our bodies and pay attention to what our individual bodies are telling us not what we see or what we consume or what we see on social media or what we see an ad telling us that we should be doing or what we see another athlete doing we are all individual and it's important for us to learn that relationship with ourselves because that is the true definition of health not like what your body fat percentage is or what your BMI is. Yeah, or how many days days you worked out and all those, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about, it's and again, and and this is a good place for me to mention this, this is why I study psychology, not medicine. I thought, you know, oh, I should go be an endocrinologist or maybe a gynecologist or, you know, I should study, you know, immunology or, no, 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 psychology, why? Because the reason why you lace up your shoes every day to get out on a run, I promise you, it's not because you're worried about cholesterol for most people our age, right? Mm-hmm. You're not worried about your heart rate. You're not worried about your uh, like a biological, uh, chemical stuff going on in your body. You are thinking, I got to get my butt out there. I need this in my head. I want to look like this. I want to feel like this. I want to do this thing. It's what's happening in your head is the reason why you lace up your shoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I love that so much. And, you know, ironically, I've been debating going back to school. I don't know yet. And I was all, always back and forth between the medical side because I was kind of studying, like, functional health right now. But I've also been so interested in psychology and mental health because of, over, like, an eating disorder and just everything that I've been through. And I'm more leaning towards, like, a ma- like a counseling master's now. But just I, – I love being aware of, like, the way people think around me and just, like, so many – messages that I want to like help people think differently like the whole like I should go do this like I have to go do this like you don't have to do anything like if you don't want to weight lift this week you don't have to force yourself to you don't have to run every day but then there's just so many messages and social media is just exaggerating it so like I'm so passionate about talking about this too because it takes time and patience to like get in touch with what you actually need and believe it and then listen to it it's absolutely true I I I feel as though that, um, you know, you couldn't be more right with all that. And I, I feel as though from my perspective, looking back, if I could go back a, and, and, and direct a career from someone your age, honestly, what I would say is what we need are more voices of mental health. We need more voices telling us to take care of ourselves and to do what's right for ourselves and to be independent, frankly, because this whole idea of attaching our identity to this like sport that we do this is problematic and Mm -hmm. we have been told in our culture that this is the correct way to view things that we should be i'm a runner i'm a you know i'm a you know gymnast i'm a whatever it is no you you're ashley and i am jill (laughs) yes right and we're pretty awesome as is whatever other things we do to add to different facets of our personality or interests that we may have it's it's not as important as what's that thing beaten in your chest Mm -hmm. of who you are inside your heart and your mind those things are more important than, you know, again, all these different um, aspects of, of physicality that we attach to ourselves. We are not, uh, you know, I, I've said this before too, this has been on my Instagram, but like your work of art, your your reason for being, is it's, it's not your body. Your body mm-hmm. is a tool for you to do great things in the world. And that has nothing to do with how many miles you run or what, again, your, what your body looks like or what, you know, think about all the people in this world that are have different abilities. We cannot say that we are better or worse than other people because of what our body looks like, right? Yeah. No, 
it's who we are inside. That's the most important thing. So if you can go ahead and help people do that, that's that's what you gotta do. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's just magical. And I think like I'm so nervous for this generation with social media. And actually, just going back to like your connection to having your full identity invested in who you are as an athlete that was like my first major struggle with mental health was when I that year that I was really sick I ended up quitting hockey but hockey was my life like I like you know like when you describe yourself on like a meeting or something I'm actually I'm a hockey player but I was also soccer but like hockey was number one and I struggled on and off for years because I was like who am I without like that attachment of so then then it turned into the gym like I had to fill it with something else but now um, my friend Shaka created a, a business a nonprofit called Beyond the Game. So we're like trying to help athletes realize how they can use their potential as like human beings in the world with the qualities they've developed in their sport, but that their sport isn't their entire identity. And I just think I'm so excited to be a part of that. But I just think it's so I wish like that that was something that I had when I was at that fa- place where I was like, who who am I right now? Yeah, what you're talking about is something really important, and there's actual there's quite a bit of, of literature out there on something called athletic identity. And if you you know if you have a chance to take a look at some of the some of the stuff out there about athletic identity, this is actually a, a concept whereby athletes, um, you know, attach themselves so so much to this identity of of their sport that, as you're saying, you know, off ramping from that can be very problematic physically and mentally. And so we see, especially on my side of, of the world, where I see people who want to recover from amenorrhea, you know, for women means, um, you know, weight gain or body changes. And it seems as though there's this kind of um, idea of, of supplementing or say substituting uh, this lean body sport for one where a huge amount of muscle mass is necessary. So you get these women that are like, well, I don't run anymore, but I, now I do CrossFit and I'm like healthier and I'm this and that. And it's like, no, the point is, is like, whatever, whatever you are, it, 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 you can be, you can take all the wonderful skills that you have and you can be an athlete or you don't have to be, Mm -hmm. you don't have to, you don't have to substitute one for the other, as you're saying. But, um, this concept of athletic identity can, has, has a lot of ramifications not just for recovering from things like amenorrhea, but you know, there's some real serious stuff that happens to professional athletes out there when they are either for retirement or for some type of injury, have to you know come away from their sport and, and are really lost trying to transition back into um, into something else. And you know, this is a deeper issue of how in our society we glorify the athlete above all things, and it's unfortunate because we are full whole people, irrespective of of all these different things, and we should have we should be treated as such so it's, it's a tough one it really is yeah that that's so true and then so you're so passionate about the psychology I can tell because we're like <laughs> feeding off each other like yes but yeah. what what are your like long-term goals with like after your master's like what do you want to do and what do you want to create yeah so um you know it's been it's been a little bit difficult lately um so in in terms of I'm keeping up with my website which needs to be updated and uh, YouTube and stuff. I, I've, YouTube is, is, is really hard because um, they've, they've shut down so many different, they make it really difficult for creators. I'm just going to leave it at that. And um, I need to, you know, my website, it's hard for me to keep up with that when I've got full-time school and writing my thesis and all these different things. Yeah. So I'm going to make thesis for myself, but here's, here's what I'd like to do. So I'm writing, I'm writing my thesis right now of which um, I hope that some of your listeners might actually end up being a part of. It's going to be a, uh, based on some, um, it's going to be based on some data that I pull from a survey that I'm going to be um, putting together for the spring, um, which uh, I can tell you more about it another time. But so uh, the, the thesis is something important to me because it begins to open up this topic of connection between our mental health and specifically endurance sports. And so what I would like to do, and I don't want to give too much of it away because I don't want to confound my results, but um, what I would like to do is take that thesis and fill it out with uh, some anecdotal stories from folks that have experienced some of the things that I'm talking about in the thesis and have that uh, funnel itself into potentially a book project. Um, In full disclosure, I write books, I write fiction books under a pen name. Oh, Oh my God, that's amazing. A completely different topic, and my amazing, wonderful agent is also a runner, and she's really keen to publish also this nonfiction work. So hopefully, 
um, I'll be able to do that with this. I, at this time, don't see myself going on to a PhD because I, being totally honest, I don't have the money and I really don't have the, I just don't have, it, it's really difficult from here um, where we are, uh, just, you know, geographically and also just like family wise and financially, it's just not going to be possible. I would love to, um, but it's just, it's, it's not going to work. So I'm going to have to leave it at master's. I would like to be able to continue to publish and talk about this kind of stuff um, long term. I, I love working with the people that I work with who, who call me for, for mentoring, and I'd love to be able to keep doing that. What Ultimately, though, here's the message. The message is you are not a failure for looking at for, for, you're not a failure for understanding that you have limits. You would be a fool to not see them mm-hmm. and try to try to ignore them. And so I want it to be okay for people to realize that, yes, you do have limits. And it is okay to do that, to understand your limits. And it's okay to, to live within those limits. And um, it doesn't make you more or less or anything. It's just um, we've got we've to get to this point where we're not – using our sport to manage mental health in the way that in 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 that way because it's it's um it's setting us up for a uh uh, uh, gosh it's okay i know what you're saying it's it's setting us up for just a lifetime of of struggle (laughs) yeah because uh, if you if you are trying to use your sport to manage your mental health it's your your it's a it's a check you cannot cash Mm -hmm. you know at some point it's just not gonna work um you got to find ways to manage mental health irrespective of the physical movement that you can do because you won't always be able to do that physical movement i think that was terribly not eloquent but who um, cares it's it's real it's real it doesn't always have to be eloquent (laughs) well everyone will get it don't worry (laughs) um thank you so much i can't believe we've been talking for like almost an hour that went by so fast and then i just like just to end everything i wanted to ask like I feel like you've already said it, but like, what is your biggest takeaway? And then now what is your favorite way to practice self-care in your life? Um, so my biggest takeaway is this, this whole concept that I just tried to butcher as I was talking, which is basically that, you know, I, I, I no longer see myself. Um, I no longer see myself as an ultra marathoner. I don't see myself as an athlete in that way anymore. And I'm totally comfortable with it because I know that I have so many other gifts. Um, and if there's one message I could tell other people is that, your gifts are inside you again your heart and your mind and they have nothing to do with you know what you do with your physical body um going back to again i can't stress enough some of us cannot use our physical bodies in that way and it doesn't mean that any of us are any less it's it's that we have to we have to believe in who we are heart and soul and and let the rest be what it is um we're all beautiful people that that other stuff doesn't matter um so self-care all right uh I, uh, I hang with my dog, uh, give her, a, you know, some love is, is, is amazing. I got my dog, uh, some of you probably know this, see my, my stuff. I got my dog on the day on that marathon Monday that I came home from Rome and was going to start recovery. So she was like legitimately my recovery pet. And she's, um, so she's a big part of, of that, but being with her as, as part of self-care, um, self-care also means just like giving myself a break. Um, and so when my thoughts, because I do have a lot of anxiety and I've, I've talked about that before too, when my thoughts start whipping into a frenzy and going crazy, my self-care is saying, you can put all that aside and sit down and take a nice deep breath and just, um, just be, you don't need to shoulder everything. That's my self-care telling myself that I don't need to, um, take on everything. And then just like the, the basic stuff is like, I love a little walk outside. I love to just get some air, you know, mm-hmm. nothing crazy i just love to be in the trees and be in nature and that that does feed my soul but i don't need to be i don't need to be like doing a ton of mileage or anything like that i just like to be outside um hang with my husband hang with my dog and um you know enjoy enjoy life that's it um that, that's it Yay. a glass of wine every now and then yes. it's not bad either. <laughs> <laughs> of course of course okay well thank you so so much for our, this entire hour, I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to see whatever you end up doing and creating and to stay in touch and all of those good things. Thank you. Thanks so much. So there you have it, everyone. We've just finished the podcast on overtraining syndrome, hypothalamic amenorrhea, and then we dove into some topics about athletic identity and 
reconnecting to what your body truly needs, which we kind of just went off on a tangent, but I really, really enjoyed it. So grateful that Jill was willing to volunteer some time in her crazy busy schedule to talk to all of us. That's about it for this podcast. I'm super grateful for all of you for listening, taking the time to tune in. And maybe some of you will relate to this if you're an endurance athlete or any type of athlete, whether it's just the athletic identity part or if you relate to maybe overtraining in the past, having multiple injuries, etc., losing your period. If you have any questions again or anything to talk about, please, please do not hesitate to contact me. I'd love to connect with you. And I can't wait to see you all next podcast. Well, not see you, but you know, can't wait to speak to you all next podcast. Take care.